What's up? Welcome to Forte Catholic Radio. This is your host, Taylor Schroll, back for another great week of Forte Catholic. This week, I am joined by a guest producer. Our normal producer, Jake Blazek, is at a soccer game today. So I have the producer of Everyday Catholics, Mr. Wesley Schimmick, in the, in the studio today. And we are recording from the Red Sea Radio studios in Bryan College Station, Texas. And I'm happy to be here. We're going to have our second week in a row on the topic of family. Um, oh, for those of you that don't know, Red Sea the, uh, actually put on a family retreat over the weekend that I was a part of. We're going to get into that a little bit. But if you missed the first part of this, if you missed last week's episode, you can always check it out on the podcast. Uh, you can go to ForteCatholic.com slash radio, find all the old older shows there. You can check out last week's. We had a lot of fun with it. We had a top 10, top 10 countdown list of my favorite people to follow on Twitter for faith and for some laughs. And we had a lot of fun with that. Got a lot of fun social interaction on Twitter and Instagram. You can find out all of that stuff on the website, ForteCatholic.com. So we're going to jump right in to this topic of family. So my weekend was just simply amazing. Started off Friday during the day. We had a day of reflection at St. Joseph's Catholic School. So what this is, is um, every month at the school, there's a day of reflection where uh, Ablaze Ministries um, and the campus ministry puts on a day retreat for either the junior high students or the high school students. So every month there's a day of reflection. Every other month it's they get to come because junior high, high school, junior high, high school. So we had one for the high school students and, you know, just we, we actually split guys and girls and girls got to learn how to become a, uh, a young lady in Christ and guys got to learn how to uh, change tires and tie a tie and play poker, all the important things of life. And then, uh, and then of course, we talked about faith as well. And one of my good friends, friend of the show, Miss Allison Sullivan, actually came to speak to the guys. Um, so what the point of this, top, this topic was, the point of this, this session was, was to share from a woman's perspective what women want in a Catholic man, right? So she came and shared a lot of these things. She, she shared that, you know, they want a courageous man. They want a faithful man. Um, but there was one line that she said that I just want to focus in on. She was talking about that, that women want a man who is into their faith, who has, who is, has a life of prayer, who is um, constantly seeking time with God daily. And this is what she said, talking about friendships and talking about our relationship with God. She said, I don't go through a list of how to hang out with my best friend. So whenever we're coming to, whenever myself or whenever you are going to hang out with your friends, you don't go through a checklist. All right. We talked about school. All right. Next, we're going to go and talk about family. And then next, um, we are going to eat at Sonic. Check. And then next, we are going to go home. Check. Right. And her point was that a lot of us in our life with God and our prayer life, that a lot of times we're just going through this checklist. It's like, okay, I did my time with God, check. Or I said my rosary today, obligatory, and didn't, uh, couldn't tell you a word of what I said, check, right? And so what's, what, her, what her point was, was that God is our best friend. 
Jesus came down to, to be among us, to live among us, to be our savior and to walk with us and to be our friend. So I took, what I, the main thing I took away from it was like, man, I should want to hang out with God as much as I want to hang out with my best friend. And then the other thing that stuck out to me was that I should be just as free to be myself, to be my weird, loud, obnoxious self when I'm with God as I am when I'm with my best friend. So then, like, that's what I took away from the day reflection. And if uh, you want to hear more from Allison, she's a great author. She's got a book um, on Paper, Rock, Scissors on Amazon. You can check it out. She was on episode two of this show. So like I said earlier, you can check that out on the podcast. But then the big thing for the weekend was this family retreat. So I went right from the day of reflection, went home, got ready, came right back to St. Anthony's where Red Sea was putting on this family retreat. And the goal of this retreat was uh, for, for all of us that showed up to learn how to become a holy family because we have Jesus in our midst. And how we did that was there was sessions for the adults and there were speakers like I, I was one of the keynote speakers. Marcel Lejeune was one of the keynote speakers. Um, gr- great people like Pam Marvin, who has a, sh- who has a show, um, who uh, helps with, with um, the Roundup show, Red Sea Roundup. Um, great, great speakers at this at this weekend that really helped me grow and and uplifted me and gave me a lot of encouragement. And what I want to do is kind of just give you a quick little rundown um, over the next few minutes of, of what I learned and some of the the snippets from the weekend. Cause I know a lot of you weren't able to come. A lot of you um, are in town and busy. A lot of you live outside of town. Um, I know I even, I had some people listen to the the show in Singapore a couple of weeks ago. So I'm, I'm guessing they didn't make it to the family retreat, but uh, it was just really cool to have adults learning together and um, building relationships with each other, building community in the church. And then there were um, people who were running sessions for the the high school students, the junior high students. And there was nursery for the little kids so that, you know, my, my me and my wife could actually go to this thing together because there was nursery for our kids. And so actually, I uh, how this retreat started off was was really neat just seeing all these families from around our area come together we had dinner together i'm seeing everybody mingle and just get to know each other over the course of the weekend i got to know a bunch of new families that either i had met before and never really gotten to talk to or families that i knew that i hadn't even met before so i actually started off the retreat uh, the keynote on friday night um, talking about like what we can learn in salvation history from uh from salvation history about families and so if you want to check that out, I actually put that on the podcast as well. It's actually, um, I spent just hours and hours and hours, like all, all last week, I was up to like two or three in the morning preparing this, preparing this talk. And um, it really, God ministered a lot to, to me within my preparation for it. So I, I hope if you listen to it on SoundCloud or on iTunes or on the website, that it'll um, just really give you a lot of encouragement on how to continue to be a holy family, to become a holy family, and how to keep Jesus in your midst in the, in the busy daily lives of our family. So I'm going to stop talking about me here for a second. I'm going to talk about Saturday and a lot of the speakers that I got to hear. So Marcel Lejeune, um, most, many of you know him. He, he's been a campus minister here at Texas A&M University at the St. Mary's Catholic Center for a very long time. He's a well-known speaker and author. He was number 10, he was number 10 on my top 10 countdown list of uh, my favorite people to follow on Twitter. 
And I tell you what, he might be my 10th favorite person to follow on Twitter, but he was he's one of my number one speakers to hear. Man, his talk on Saturday just blew me away. Uh, I know in talking to a lot of the other retreatants that it blew a lot of people away. So I'm just going to give you a couple of the quotes that I took down in my notes um, uh, and, and just kind of walk through them and tell, you, tell them what they mean to me, and, and hopefully they can be um, uplifting to you as well. The main thing that he was talking about was that was about bridges and barriers to holiness. So what are the things that are holding us back as Catholics, as lay people? What are the biggest things holding us back from, from holiness? And then what are the bridges that we can build to get over those barriers? The first thing that he said that just caught everybody's attention was he said that Catholics are trying too often to be good instead of holy. So what does it mean to be holy? It means to be set apart and we're holy because God makes us holy. And too many, too many of us Catholics, myself included at many times, are just trying to be moral, trying to be, to check off the boxes, to say that we're doing things well, going to mass, go, even going to daily mass. We're trying to do good instead of striving after holiness as our main goal. Now, good things go along with holiness, right? Show me your, show me your, um, show me your faith without works and I'll show you a faith that's dead. So there are good things that come with holiness. But striving after holiness is striving after God. And how he explained this section is that he said that most Catholics are dating Jesus instead of married to Jesus, right? And he said, okay, this might be a little weird because, you know, it's hard for guys to imagine themselves married to Jesus, right? But the church, all of us, are the bride of Christ. We are the bride that that Jesus laid his life down for. So, and a lot of us, instead of receiving that love as a marriage, as an exclusive love relationship, we date Jesus. Maybe not even exclusively, right? Oh, I'll uh, I'll go on Sunday to mass, but uh, the other six days I'm going to do my own thing. I'll 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 see Jesus. I'll date him once once a week, or even uh, you know, dating him to the uh, dating other people. Like I date Jesus on Sundays. I also date the NFL on Sundays. <laughs> So uh, I need to rearrange my time or I might not make it to see Jesus today because there's playoff games all day. And I think a lot of us get into this, right? On whatever extreme where we're, we think of our relationship with Jesus as like, oh, I just need to check in with him. I need to um, put in a, an hour with him, an hour date with him a, a, a week. But throughout the week, those of you guys that are married know that if you did this to your wife, or your husband, it probably wouldn't go over well, right? All right, I'm going to take you on a, on a date one hour a week, but I'm not going to talk to you the, the other uh, 24 times seven hours a week, right? That probably wouldn't go over well in my house, and I'm betting it wouldn't go over well in your house either. So we have this choice to make of, all right, are we going to be married to Jesus? After Marcel talked about this relationship thing, he went into this conversation about free will that I thought was hilarious. His quote was, I hate free will for everyone else. I love my own, right? And I think a lot of times, whether it's in parenting or coaching, we can all get into this. And in my times with my four-year-old, my two-year-old, sometimes I love their free will and sometimes I cannot stand it. It goes for the same way when I'm coaching or doing ministry and I ask somebody to do something, they don't do it over and over again. It gets real frustrating. But then I'm like, oh my goodness, 
I'm probably the same way for everybody else, right? To where when we use our our own free will, it probably bothers some other people or certain things that people do to annoy us. I'm probably sure we do the same thing or similar things to annoy them. So I think whenever we make mistakes or when other, other people make mistakes, we have to recognize that they're all mistakes, right? So when somebody else makes a mistake that bothers me when I'm coaching or at work or whatever, I have to realize that, that they're human too, just like I am. They have free will too, just like I am. They mess up too, just like I do. So, and I think that perspective helps me to be a little bit more understanding because when I mess up, I'm like, oh, I'm good, but I just made this mistake this one time. So uh, I'm sure I'll be okay in the long run, right? I think we cut ourselves a little bit more slack than we cut other people sometimes. Um, another thing that he was talking about was this, um, because, uh, was a question that somebody had of how do we um, help our young people, our kids, to have their own prayer life? Because, and I think it was a great question because a lot of you know that most people, if they're going to leave the church, 80% of people that leave the church do so between the ages of 18 to 23, like those, those college years, right? And I think a lot of these kids come from great Catholic families who pray together as a family. But Marcel was like, there's one thing that I think is a missing, that is missing even in a lot of good Catholic families. And it's the expectation that, that young people should have their own personal prayer outside of family prayer. He says to expect it, to teach them how to encourage it. And, and it was like, okay, so how do we do this, right? So when we pray together as a family, we thank God for things. We, we say that, you know, how great he is. We ask him for help and, and like go through that as a family and then say to him the next day, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go spend a few minutes in your room or, or outside or whatever and go through the same way that we pray as a family by yourself. Tell God what's going on in your life. And I just thought that was, that was great. And a lot of people in the audience were like, oh my goodness, this is um, groundbreaking for us because a lot of families there did pray together. But, you know, at some point that kid's not going to be at your family prayer anymore. So we have to, to um, start being proactive and act now to prepare our kids for whenever they uh, eventually move out of the house, right? Um, speaking of moving out of the house, another thing that he mentioned was that Jesus didn't move out of his house till he was 30. So uh, if you've got a 19, 20 year old at home, just keep that in mind. So, uh, the last thing that, that I want to say that Marcel, that Marcel shared, say that 10 times fast, was in the Zacchaeus story. So many of us are familiar with the Zacchaeus story. So Jesus was um, walking through town. There was this short man who was a sinner and a tax collector, tax collector, and he climbed up in a tree because he wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus stops and says, you know, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house. And it was revolutionary because this, this, uh, this guy was, you know, seen as a sinner among sinners and, and an outcast among his own people because he was collecting taxes for the Roman government. And Jesus went to go eat with him. And if you know the end of the story, you know that Zacchaeus had this amazing conversion experience. He said uh, after his encounter with Christ, he's like, I'm going to give back all the money that I extorted out of people, and he's going to be a follower of Christ. So we know that story, but what Marcel was um, pointing out to us was how that story started. It says that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He was making his way to Jerusalem. He had this mission and he was focused on that mission. His intention was to walk through the town that Zacchaeus was in, just trying to get to Jerusalem. But when he saw Zacchaeus, he stopped, recognized that he was a man in need. And then the rest of the, the rest of the story is history, right? And the point is, that a lot of times uh, we, and my, myself included, definitely in this one, 
we get so focused on what we have to get done, what we have to accomplish, what uh, the mission that we're after, even great things, ministry or our work or great family life. And then we encounter somebody in our life that we don't have enough time for. Or we say we don't have enough time for us or, 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 that, or that beggar on the street or, or a neighbor who's hurting who we don't have enough time to just go and spend time with them. And this was really challenging for me when I heard Marcel say this. Because Jesus, even though he had a great intent, he had the greatest mission of all time, but he was willing to take a, a, an evening away from his mission to go spend, the, spend his evening, spend dinner with Zacchaeus. And we know that it made a huge impact in Zacchaeus' life. So I was very encouraged by that. The next morning, um, we had these breakout sessions, just all these things that a family could use to continue to grow. Um, James and Sarah Adams, the Adams family, da 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 you could finish it on your own. Uh, they, they talked about the family that serves, uh, that serves together stays together, right? And uh, there's a couple of quotes that they said. Um, the main scripture that they were using was um, when people asked Jesus, um, you know, when did they see him hungry and not feed him? When did they see him naked and not clothe him? And that whole story, right? Um, the, the funny thing that, that James Adams, who's, a, one of the, who's the theology teacher for the high school at St. Joseph's Catholic School, um, he, was, he was talking about ideas. It's like, look, it, w- even within your own family, you're feeding the hungry. Your kids, you're clothing the naked. They would run around naked if you didn't put clothes on them. And then his biggest joke was spending time with your, if your wife stays at home and, 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 and you're a husband and you're out working, spending time with your wife is visiting the imprisoned, right? A lot of times they feel so imprisoned at the house with those kids all day. So go spend some time with your wife here this week uh, because of that great joke by James Adams. Um, And then Sarah, uh, of course, the guy was the jokester and Sarah was the serious one. She said that one of the ways that Satan tempts us is by giving us a lot of good options so we can't do them all well, right? So Satan's the master deceiver. He's not going to just come up and and show us a great lie. He's going to give us, he's going to bend the truth a little bit, right? And I find this hard in my life. I want to say yes to everybody. I want to help as many people as I can. I want to do all the things that I can. And often I catch myself, and I've been doing this since I was five years old, saying yes to too many things, right? And then all of a sudden I can't do any of them great. I'm doing all of them okay or decent or even sometimes dropping the ball on things. And it was this challenge of like, oh my goodness, like that's one way that the evil one can get to us is by presenting us with all these good options. He said it within the context of family, right? Because a lot of times people feel guilty. It's like, oh, I don't serve the poor enough. I don't do this enough. There are seasons in your life sometimes where you are called to serve your family and love your family, to grow that family relationship. And then there are times where you can go serve together as a family as well. There's a time for everything. That's what scripture says over and over again. And then the last thing that they said was that it's very popular these days to speak about the poor, but most don't speak with them. And I just thought that was such a powerful quote that, uh, you know, um, speaking about how to fix um, and, and, uh, the economy, how to help the poorest of the poor has become a great topic, but so often we pass by um, homeless people on, on the road or we pass by people who we know are, are, are in f- difficult financial situations and we just walk right by them or don't even address it, right? So I took that as a challenge for myself to, um, to be more engaged in talking to people and, and be, meeting people on a human level. Whether somebody has a dollar to their name or a billion dollars, we should be treating them the same. And then uh, another one of the breakout sessions was Crucial Conversations with Alyssa Trutter, who's, who has a show here on Red Sea Radio on Everyday Catholics with Father Ryan. 
And the point of these crucial conversations is with, within a family is uh, how can we have these conversations whenever um, you know, people are mad at each other, essentially, right? Um, we, we do this at our, at our office whenever you know, people are kind of button heads. And just the kind of quick overview is that uh, what, how you approach these situations is this, when you said or did blank. So when you said those, when you said um, something sarcastic to me, I felt unloved, right? And the reason that it's like this, instead of just saying like, you're a jerk and you say mean things, that, that conversation is not going to go well, right? So it's when you did this or said this, I felt this. Because a lot of times there's just, I'm reading the situation one way and somebody else is reading it another way, right? A lot, of, like I'm a pretty sarcastic person. There's a lot of people at our office that don't like sarcasm. So a lot of times I can say things and then they can take it, uh, you know, in a joking way. And like my purpose of it is to bring joy to the office and make people laugh and that sort of thing. Right. But often it can, uh, people can be offended by it. So they could come to me and say, when you said this, I felt like you didn't respect our friendship. And I can say, you know, and the whole point of this is that everybody says they're sorry. Right. I can say, I am so sorry. I did not mean to do that. It wasn't my intention. I'll try to do better in the, in the future and completely validating how they felt about these things and trying to move forward from that. Um, for more on crucial conversations, you can look online. There's there's great there's great uh, if you just Google it. There's great resources on how to do these um, in your work, in your family, that sort of thing. Uh, Matt and Westy Rice talked about a, f- a family that prays together, and, uh, and, and there was another presenter that talked about um, living the liturgical calendar with your family. So it was a great weekend for me. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. And I know that a lot of these talks are, were recorded and they're going to be shared with you guys through Red Sea Radio. So whenever we come back, we're going to be talking to my good friend Thad Cardine from the Fullness of Truth conferences about what they do, about how they can help your family. So we will be right back. For segment two of today's Forte Catholic Show, as promised, I am joined by my good friend from the Fullness of Truth conferences, Thad Cardine. How you doing over there tonight, Thad? Very good, Taylor. That's that's. I'm glad to hear it. Um, I've been excited to have you on the show. I was just talking last segment about a, a family retreat that I was involved in this past weekend, and you guys came to mind because that's what you do. So for if I, if, I, if I knew nothing about the Fullness of Truth conferences, what would you tell me? What is a Fullness of Truth conference? Well, uh, the Fullness of Truth conference is an uh, event that we produce here in Texas to uh, teach Catholics and non-Catholics alike uh, about the fullness of truth found in the Holy Catholic Church. It's an opportunity to encounter Christ. Uh, where all the sacraments are present, and uh, strong, dynamic teaching is given. Yeah, that's great. I, I've actually been to a couple of these. I went to one with my, the lady who is now my wife. We were just dating at the time. We went to one in San Antonio and, and saw some of the greatest Catholic speakers. So, Who are some of the, the big names that you guys have that come in to do these conferences? Oh, we have people like Scott Hahn and... Um, I guess he's one of the biggest names, uh, Scott <laughs> yeah, Hahn and Brant Petrie and uh, Father Mitch Pacwa has been with us. Um, 
Father uh, Donald Calloway, uh, Staples from uh, uh, Catholic Answers. Oh yeah, good old good old Tim Staples. He's actually going to be on the show here in a couple of weeks. Well, there you go. There's your Mount Rushmore. So, so what you're saying is that that the Fullness of Truth conferences brings the Mount Rushmore of Catholic speakers to come in to our great state of Texas and sometimes Louisiana, but mainly Texas, right? So, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to use that. <laughs> there you go. That that that's that's your new tagline. That's your that's your job. Speaking of your job, what actually is your role with the Ministry of Fullness of Truth? What do you do? Well, I'm I'm the director um, of the ministry. And so I reach out to parishes, bishops, priests, ministries, and speakers all over to coordinate the conferences and spread the word. Uh, I want to increase the awareness about our mission and and work with ministries throughout uh, Texas to involve uh, ministries together, us help them and them help us, and get as many souls into these conferences as possible. Well, that's great, and I think you're doing a good job because I, uh, I'm pretty darn sure it's the biggest, biggest conferences in Texas pretty much every year, unless one of those crazy ones, national ones, comes in and steals the thunder. But I've always seen it as the biggest Catholic uh, conferences in Texas. So, um, you mentioned mission. You know, we know what the conferences are. We know who's coming. We now know what you do. What is the mission? What is the goal of these conferences? What do y'all want to see happen when people come to these conferences? Well, we just finished our 15th year uh, this past October, and so 16 years later, we still have the same mission that we started with in uh, 2001, and that is to continue uh, facilitating the new springtime of evangelization that St. John Paul II initiated, and that's basically very simply to share the full and complete teachings of Jesus Christ uh, and the Holy Catholic Church. Um, share them through the sacraments, through dynamic speakers, and really uh, provide an opportunity to share uh, with Catholics, both devout and strong Catholics in their faith and those who have slipped away, um, what they have within their faith, and that's the fullness of truth. Well, there you go. That was like the perfect uh, summation of everything you guys do. I can tell that after 16 years, you know what you're talking about. So, um, what, I hope so. Yeah, so that's that's <laughs> the goal. So um, I love glory stories. I love seeing, um, you know, the fruits come from ministries. You know, Jesus always said to judge a ministry by its fruit. I've seen definite fruit in my life from going to these Fullness of Truth conferences. What what are some of the, the biggest fruits that you've seen, either in your life or, or from stories that you've heard of people coming to the conference? Well, two years ago, right after I started, I had the pleasure of meeting a Father Ken Geraci. He was one of our speakers in San Antonio, and he's with the uh, Fathers of Mercy. They're located in Kentucky. Um and he came down and spoke, and he shared a testimony while he was there. Uh, and it seems, it, it, I, I learned there at the uh, conference, back in 2002, uh, Father Ken, who was just Ken Geraci, had fallen away from the Catholic Church, and he had a list of reasons why the Catholic Church was wrong. Oh, wow. And uh, he was very successful and... Uh, in the software industry, and and one of his uh, 
friend, who was also uh, a supervisor at the company you work with, invited him to a Fullness of Truth conference and actually bought him a ticket because he knew Ken would not uh, agree to it. So Ken came, and we had a list of those heavy hitters. Uh, Dr. Hahn was there, Tim Staples, Steve Ray, uh, Jesse Romero, and a, a whole bunch of others. And Father Ken, in his testimony, shared how they answered every one of his objections. And he went and talked to them in between the talks and at the end of the conference. And one year later, uh, he was talking to Father Ken, came back into the church, and he reached out to our president and founder, Ken Zamet, and asked for some advice as to an order that he could look to. And uh, Ken directed him to the Fathers of Mercy. And a few years later after that, uh, Ken Geraci was Father Ken Geraci. He's one of the mission priests at uh, the Fathers of Mercy, and he goes all over the world doing parish missions. Uh, so that's that's a big success story. Yeah. Uh, Carlo Broussard, who's uh, an up-and-coming apologist with Catholic Answers, came to a Fullness of Truth conference and... Uh, it changed his life and sent him on a path to become an apologist for the Catholic Church. Uh, we have at least 10 priests here in Texas who credit Fullness of Truth conferences as a, a pivotal moment in their uh, discernment for a vocation. And it, every single conference, uh, we hear stories about people who have come back to the church or the priests who are hearing confession tell us how they heard somebody who had not been in the church for 25, 30 years, and they uh, came back to the church through the sacrament of reconciliation. It's it's amazing. These stories keep us going. Yeah. A- after every story that you finished, I was like, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> and you just kept going and kept going and kept going. So it's uh, talk about seeing fruit from a ministry, right? That priest that, that came into the church, it's... Um, all the priests who have, who have, who have you know, people who have become priests because of their experience there, man, that's just, that's just simply amazing. Um, I mean, even for myself, it was, it was a moment of me and my wife going to this conference together, uh, whenever we were just dating, it was one of those moments that was like, yeah, I think I'm going to marry this one, right? Just sitting in y'all's, in y'all's conference, listening to these great speakers and just taking all of this, uh, all the, all of this great information in together as a couple. So, um, Actually, way back then, whenever, when it, way back when I was just when I was just a young tyke in in, uh, in college, uh, so I guess this was probably 2010, 2011. Um, my wife and I went, and we were probably the youngest people in the audience by about I don't know forty or fifty years, right? Wow. So I, I know that um, over the past couple of years, y'all have been shifting from a um, just an adult model that's still that's still the main focus but y'all have been shifting to this family conference style why don't you talk a little bit about that um how you guys have been doing that and and why y'all made that push well i wouldn't say it's so much as a shift as more of a uh concerted effort to reach out to a broader audience um you know we've always been open. We've always cast the net wide, wanting anybody and everybody to attend um, and have these experiences. But so often the case, um, a certain demographic becomes the strong demographic. And so 
Uh, I think we're we've got two particular conferences. Uh, the one in Corpus Christi, that's our Linton conference, and then we have a summer conference in San Antonio. These are two pretty regular annual conferences um, where we are at large uh, venues and we have the ability to bring in child care and uh, teen ministries to put on a teen, uh, teen conference portion, and we can embrace the families through that uh, method. But we are also calling even our smaller parish conferences family conferences. Um, We're trying to increase child care offerings at every conference, even the smaller ones. Uh, It's a little bit challenging to do so, but even if we don't have child care, we want families to feel welcome, that they can bring their children we're Catholic, after all. We embrace large families. Amen. <laughs> and, we, and we embrace every age group. So we want young people involved. We want uh, older people involved. I've got a meeting tomorrow. I'm going to be meeting with the young Catholic professionals here in Texas to try to get their ministry more involved with our ministry and uh, bring young adults to these conferences. That's great. Uh, yeah, that's another great ministry that's been kind of up and coming. So, um, yeah, it's been really cool for me because I, you know, I went as a, as a participant, like I said, was the youngest by far, and that was actually one in San Antonio. And then I left, I went off to school and worked for a while and came back and actually you know, had the privilege to, over the past couple of years, to lead some of these teen tracks with um, the ministry that I work with. And it's just been really cool to see like how this concerted effort that y'all have been putting out is working, right? I mean, in San Antonio, I walk around, I'm like, wow, I'm not by far the youngest. I'm kind of in the middle now, and I'm bald, so I kind of fit in, right? <laughs> um, but like, I can definitely see that concerted effort um, working out. So I know that uh, there are families listening today and that would are hearing this, hearing the glory stories, that would love to come to one of your conferences. So how would people find out? When's the next one? Where is it? Give us the deets. Well, the best way is our website, fullnessoftruth.org. And um, fullnessoftruth.org, you can uh, like us on Facebook. We are developing a a larger presence on Facebook, Fullness of Truth Catholic Ministries there. Um, Our toll-free number here at the office is 877-21-TRUTH. And if you text the word TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, to 22828, that will sign you up for our emails, and we send out emails uh, all the time for all the upcoming conferences uh, that are going to be scheduled throughout the year. So you can get our schedule, you can look on our website, you can call our office, and uh, we have a small bookstore here in Kingwood, and you can come by anytime to the bookstore. We're open all year round. Yeah, that'd be great. I'm... I'm uh... Looking forward to being at the one in Corpus in March and the one in San Antonio in August. And I'll just do a quick plug here for families to come. It is so much fun being around all these other um, Catholic families. I know a lot of people are familiar with the Steubenville conferences, and those are for young people. And um, people in high school go, and they get all excited, and they come back, and and, uh, it's hard to kind of bring that back. But if you bring your whole family to a conference like Fullness of Truth, the whole family will come back on fire and have some things to take home to grow in holiness, to be a holier family. 
Um, and the one in San Antonio is at just this beautiful resort with uh, there's a water park and there's it's really really nice. So um, definitely check it out. Come join me. Come join Thad. Come join uh, thousands of other Catholics to come um, to these conferences. So the last thing I want to do before I let you off the line here, uh, Thad, is to kind of talk a little bit about you. Um, what's your story? How did you get involved in this ministry? Um, so so first of all, just like. Um, how has your Catholic faith grown across your life? Did you leave and come back? Have you been a cradle Catholic? What's your story? Well, I, it, w- my wife and I, we came into the church 15 years ago. Congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. We're very excited about it. We came into the church. Uh, we were in Savannah at the time, and we came in together uh, right before we welcomed our first child. And so... We've had the pleasure of raising our children as cradle Catholics, but both my wife and I uh, were Protestants. And um, I've always, whether I was a Protestant or when I was a Catholic, I've always been involved in the church that I was a part of and always had a uh, a desire to work in the church and, and do something that reflected my faith. And so uh, after we came into the church uh, in Savannah, I started teaching Catholic schools in Catholic schools and uh, quickly realized with the birth of our first child that I couldn't afford to stay there. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people are listening to this right now going, amen, in their cars. (laughs) So I had to leave and I went off and actually went into public education and and worked in different uh, educational environments. They need for, Jesus too. For there you go. <laughs> for quite a few years and but I still had an itch. I I wanted to uh combine my work and my faith. Uh and I found Fullness of Truth uh ministries online and the more I read about them and the more I spoke with the founder and president and the board members, uh the more I realized this was uh, where God wanted me. And so we were in Virginia at that time, and so we uprooted everybody. We had four kids at the time. We were expecting our fifth in March and uh, moved across across country and made Texas our new home. So you're expecting a child as the Corpus Christi uh, conference is going on, right? <laughs> yes. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> Not to add any stress to your life, right? <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's it's great to hear your story. I actually didn't know you were you were a convert to, until tonight, so that's a, that's really neat to hear your story. And uh, it's cool how your daughter has gotten to grow up in the church. I know your daughter from working at the conferences, and she's a fantastic young little Catholic lady. So, um, and, and our last little minute here, uh, just just a little pl- um, question about you and and your and your role in ministry. How have you seen yourself grow in your faith because of your work with Fullness of Truth? Wow, well, um, you know, I remember when I first t- uh, came into the church and I started teaching at uh, in Catholic schools, I my background is in English literature. And um, right after I started teaching and I got, uh, I came fully into the church, they gave me some religion classes. And I started teaching the religion classes, and I absolutely loved them. With the pri- the primary reason was I learned as I taught, and I grew as I taught, and that's how I feel here. 
working with all these speakers, planning these conferences, um, coming up with the themes and discussing the talk titles and working with the diocese and the bishops on what where they're headed with their uh, their flock and where they want to go is just a continual catechesis with me, and I I feel very blessed that I have that opportunity yeah, to learn and grow in that way. Yeah, that's great. I totally know what you mean. Every time you go to work with great Catholic people, you're going to grow in holiness. So, so Thad, I just want to thank you for coming on the show. I look forward to working at the conferences with you this year, and uh, good luck in these last couple months getting ready for the baby. God bless you, man. Thank you, and you too. We'll be right back, guys, with our third and final segment of tonight's Forte Catholic. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to the third and final segment of Forte Catholic tonight. I am your host, Taylor Schroll, if you're just tuning in with us. We've been talking about family tonight. In our first segment, I talked about the Red Sea family retreat that happened this past weekend. And a lot of the things that I learned from from great people in our community, Marcel Lejeune, uh, a a deacon over at at St. Anthony's, Pam Marvin, um, all these great people in, in our community that came together to just share time with each other. And um, like I said, my first session, um, I talked about the salvation history and what we can learn from families. And a, a lot of people um, really got, um, they, they came up to me and said that they got a lot out of it. So I, um, and it was really interesting because I got a lot out of it in my preparation. So if you want to get to go check it out, you can find it on my blog on ForteCatholic.com. Uh, you should just find it there on the homepage. It's uh, labeled as the keynote session from the retreat. Uh, listen to it. Check it out. Tell me, tell me if you get anything out of it. Um, I had a couple of people uh, uh, comment on some things that were good, some things that it could be corrected. And um, so uh, check it out. Let me know what you think. So we're, I'm going to walk through a, a little segment of, of my second keynote talk from this from this weekend. By this time of the weekend, we were uh, it was the last session, so we were all kind of tired, and um, so we had a little bit of fun, played a game, watched some fiddler on the roof clips. So we're just going to skip that part uh, for right now and, and get right into it. the The game, I promise, it's 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 a hilarious marriage game. We're going to bring back um, uh, a, a, a couple that's a friends of mine who have been on the show before, Colin and Khaki, because they they killed it at my last game so they want a new challenging game they want to go up against somebody so we're going to have a couple's battle between myself and my wife and colin and khaki the the engaged couple so um but i want to in in our last little segment here to walk through um what i was talking about on on saturday afternoon i was talking about the importance of how a holy family starts with the couple starts with the love between the spouses the love between the husband and the wife and um, we we can all kind of acknowledge that men men and men and women are created equal, 
but we're created differently. A lot of you know that there's been crazy marches going on, a bunch of different kinds of marches going on all week with Trump's inauguration and looting, and then there was the pro-life march, and then there was the women's march, and um, if you've been on social media, everyone's yelling at each other because of these marches, right? But I'm here to tell you, your good friend at Forte Catholic Radio, men and women were created equal, but were created different. We, we learned that all throughout the scriptures. And before we even get into Ephesians chapter 5, this kind of challenging verse for a lot of people, I want to I talk to you a little bit about, um, about one of my favorite companies in the world, Apple. So all of the work that I do for this show is done on my, on my Apple MacBook computer. I've, uh, we're running all the sounds through my Apple iPad. Um, I'm doing all my, whenever we do live, uh, F- Facebook live, whenever I'm doing tweeting during the show, it's all done on my Apple iPhone. Um, my, my pacemaker is made by Apple. My brain is made by Apple. And if you haven't picked up on the last two being a joke, uh, catch up. Okay. Stay with me. So Apple, uh, one of the things I've always wondered about Apple is now that they have this computer and they have iPads, it's like, why do they still have these two different things? Why can't they do like some other companies do and combine the tablet and the computer to where I could have my computer and the screen is also a tablet, kind of like an iPad, right? You would think that would be a good idea, kind of get two in one, but here's what they have to say about it. They first say that Apple doesn't Uh, says it doesn't have a problem with the Mac and the iPad overlapping. So they do a lot of the same things, but there are things that the the MacBook can can do that the iPad can't do and vice versa. And uh, another cool thing, the main reason I love having Apple stuff is that I can work, like just today, I was working on the show earlier um, on on my notes on my phone. Then I went over to my iPad, moved it over, kind of organized it all to um, share what I'm about to share with you today. It was on my iPad, and now that we're running all the sounds through the iPad, I have all that same information on my computer. It just all syncs up, right? So they overlap, and Apple says they don't have a problem with that, since it appro- the, um, the Mac and the iPad approach tasks in a different way. For instance, they won't remove the iconic menu bar from the Mac, just as they'd never add it to the iPad. And here's a quote from one of the guys that works for him. It says, It is great to provide two different ways to solve some of the same things, but they also do very unique things that the other doesn't. Having them separate allows us to explore both versus trying to force them into one and only one model. So I I read this as I was uh, preparing for this session, and I was like, and and actually Thaddeus Romanski, who's the general manager of the station, sent it to me and was like, man, this will be great for your talk. So shout out to Thaddeus. We've had two, how, how many radio shows talk about two different Thaddeuses in one day, right? We got Thaddeus Romanski, the general manager here. And we had Thad Cardine, who's Thaddeus on, uh, on, on, on the show in the second segment for our interview from Fullness of Truth. So anyway, that's a sidebar. But the, the point is from Apple is that they're not going to merge these two. They see that, that they love the iPad and they think that iP- the iPad does great things. They love the Mac. They think the Mac does great things. But there are differences in them, and they're going to focus on exploring both of them, not forcing them into one. And I think so often in our society, we are trying to merge um, femininity and masculinity into one thing. We're trying to merge men and women to, in, into having one role, right? When there are some good about that. I'm not saying we should go back to the 1800s where women didn't have rights and all those kinds of things, right? But the, the thing is, like, there are certain things just biologically and how we're made and how we're wired that men and women do differently. 
Um, I can't have a baby, for instance. That would be very difficult for me. Um, but there, so there are things that, that women can do that I can't. There are things that, that I can do that, that women can't, right? We have our strengths. We have our weaknesses, right? So that all, that's all to set up this conversation about Ephesians chapter 5. Um, if you want to find it in your Bible, kind of take some notes because uh, some of this stuff is pretty challenging. I'm going to start in 22. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And this is um, whenever, let's say you're sitting in mass and, or sitting in church and, and you hear this read, it's, I, I feel like you, you hear this first verse and then everyone in the church tunes out. Because this is what it says. Wives should be subordinate to their husbands. Everybody in the room, men, women, the kids are looking up at the parents trying to figure out who's going to do what, right? The husband's like ribbing the, the wife in the, in, in the ribs. The wife's like, oh, nah, I ain't going to do that, right? So, uh, yes, that's my, that's my woman voice. That's what all women in church sound like. So people get all worked up about this, about this one little statement. But we forget, or, or we forget to keep listening, right? Or we didn't, or we missed the first verse because you had a kid tugging on you, right? So here's how this 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 section actually starts. Ephesians chapter five verse twenty one says, "Be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ." So right before it says, "Women should be subordinate to your husbands," it says, "Be subordinate to one another." Men, be subordinate to your wives. Wives, be subordinate to your husbands. Because what does this mean? Like the whole point of love is self-sacrifice and wanting the best for the other. So I should want the best for my wife and my wife should want the best for me. And we do that perfectly every single day. And that's, uh, that's my life for the day. So, but the point of this is that being subordinate to one another is out of reverence for Christ. It's not for the purpose of the other person. Mainly. Yeah, the other person might feel the great effects of it if you're being self-sacrificial for him. But the point is that it's out of reverence for Christ. So then it says, wives should be subordinate to your husbands. Then it says, as to the Lord. So the way that, that wives are supposed to be subordinate to their husbands is as they're subordinate to Christ. And a lot of time people complain about this. It's like, oh, it's like we're enslaving women or we're pushing them back and they have to do, you know, be doormats and be, do, do whatever, right? But here's the deal. How many of you feel like slaves or doormats or, 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 or what are these types of things in your relationship with Christ? Wives aren't supposed to be doormats to their husband. We're supposed to be equally yoked. You're supposed to be walking through this, this whole marriage thing together because you know as well as I do that we need help. We need to help each other. So it's as, as, to, as, as Christ is. It says, for the hus- husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. He himself is a savior for the body. As the church is subordinate to Christ, so wives should be subordinate to their husbands. So that's what it says, Right? So if you still want to be mad at it, I guess that's fine, but at least listen to the whole thing and then continue to what it says to the husbands, right? If you think it's a little unfair to the wives. It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and handed himself over for her. So how did Christ love the church? He handed his life over for her. So this love for our wives isn't just, hey, honey, I'm home. Here's a kiss. Now I'm going to go do whatever I want, right? 
It's self-sacrificing. Day in and day out, laying down our lives as husband for the wives. And this is the purpose. To sanctify her, cleansing her by the bath with the word, that he might present himself to the church in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Our goal as spouses is to get our spouse into heaven. Our goal as husbands by loving our wives is to present her blameless to the Lord on the day that we go up to heaven. Or if you want to come hang out with me in purgatory for a million years, you're welcome to do that too. But I suggest that you uh, uh, work on it and try to go straight to heaven. And he continues talking to the husbands, for no one hates his own flesh, but but rather nourishes and cherishes it, even as Christ does the church, because we're members of one body. And as I read this uh, the other day, I was thinking about, um, I had plantar fasciitis in my feet a couple of years ago. It creeps up every now and then. And if you're not sure what that means, um, it's like essentially where you can't put any weight on your feet. Your feet get so messed up that you can't put any weight on your feet. And I was just having trouble walking. Very painful, right? Whenever like, so my feet are the part of my body that is touching the ground. That every time I took a step, every time I wanted my hands, my butt, my head, my my brain, my heart, every time I wanted to go somewhere, I was very aware that my that my feet were hurting, right? So both as husbands and and wives, I was very convicted of this. Like I need to be as aware of my wife's needs as I was aware that my feet had something that that needed to be fixed. If my wife is hurting, if my wife needs my help with the kids, I should be trying to be as aware of that as I was when a part of my body was hurting. And I was very well aware that I needed to care for my feet. And then finally, we get to this, this last line that is my favorite line in the whole thing. He says, in any case, each of you should love his wife as himself and the wife should respect the husband. You would think it would be the other way that it would both be love, right? Each one of you should love his wife and the wife should love her husband. But I read this book, my wife and I did whenever we were engaged and um, I'm not going to have enough time today to go through all of it. So I encourage you to go read it and uh, read it with your spouse or read it and then give it to your spouse or whatever. It's called Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson Egerich's. If you Google it, you don't have to spell it right. It'll, it'll find it for you. It's a great book that I, I read uh, with my with my fiance, who's now my wife. I know a lot of other recently married couples in this area have read it. Uh, my boss and his wife have read it, and it's great. And it talks about this this section, this chapter in Ephesians, talking about how um, what what he learned from it is that the deepest desire of a woman's heart is to feel loved from, by her husband. And the deepest desire of a man's heart is to be respected by his wife. If you know anything about love languages, you know that like, okay, the the love language that I have, if I'm physical touch, then I'm just going to assume that that's everyone else's love language, right? But if I go try to touch certain people, give them a hug or whatever, they're going to like be squeamish and go away, right? Maybe their love language is quality time or or, or, uh, gift giving or these types of things, right? But just because my love language, how I receive love is one way, it doesn't mean that that's the same way for my wife, right? And how he put this in perspective is, um, what if uh, 
if, if I go through my entire day and I'm super respectful to my wife, but I don't do any loving action, she's probably not going to be too happy with me. And at the same token, if she does all these loving things for me all day and then says, says something disrespectful, oh man, that just ruined that whole day, right? All the women in the, uh, listening are shaking their heads and all the guys listening are shaking their heads like going, yep, that's right. So what do we do with all this? How do we solve this? Because what happens is in marriages is we get, um, or any long-term relationship is that, you know, we can get on each other's nerves, right? So let's say I, I do something unloving to my wife. What's her natural response? Her natural response is to do something disrespectful. It's not to go out of her way to be respectful, right? Vice versa, if, if she does something disrespectful to me, I'm not going to go want to give her a hug or a kiss or, or be lovey-dovey, right? So the goal of all this is to break this crazy cycle. Because uh, you can see this going, if, if it all starts with one little disrespectful word, and then I do something unloving, and then she does something disrespectful, and I do something unloving, and all of a sudden we're mad at each other, right? So how do we fix this? One person has to come out and stop the crazy cycle. Because as I said at the beginning, all this is out of reverence of Christ. We are commanded by Christ. I am commanded by Christ to love my wife, despite if she's being respectful to me or not, loving me or not. My wife is required by Christ to be respectful to me and loving of me no matter what I'm doing. So go check out the book if you want to hear more about this. I, I've just found it to be great in my life. Thanks for listening to the show tonight. Um, as always, uh, check out the show on the podcast, ForteCatholic.com slash radio. If you're listening on iTunes, please, 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 right now, go rate the show to help get the show um, um, into more hands, into more ears, into more cars, into more phones, that sort of thing. If you know somebody who could use this for their family, share it with them right now. It's been a great week. See ya!